would you help me celebrate what God's done in Ison and Connor and Malik? What a great day. What a great day. And, and would you just kind of keep that going for Michael Thomas, who got up this morning and thought he was going to be on a vocal team and got here to find out that I started getting texts at 3 a.m. from people who were sick. Would you help me thank Michael for leading us in worship today? So um, today we are starting a series called Repurpose. Um, I, I, I want you to understand that, that sometimes in our lives we get wrapped up in stuff and we get the feeling as if there's, that we really have no purpose. But the fact of the matter is we, we all live with a purpose. But what Jesus does and what we're going to talk about in this series is that what Jesus does is comes in and he takes the things that are in your life and, and he begins to put them together in ways you never imagined possible. Uh, a few months ago, I, I was in a setting where someone was wearing a pair of shoes. They looked like just normal shoes to me, right? Until they began explaining to me that those shoes were made entirely out of the the recycled plastic bags that they, they had people somewhere, somehow, somebody had come up with a process to take your garbage, your garbage, your plastic bags, the ones from the store, and convert them, make them into thread that then could be woven together into the top. They looked like tennis shoes. And then the bottom, maybe some of you are wearing them now. I, I don't know. I know there are some pretty creative people in this place, all right? But everything in it had been recycled. It had been repurposed. It kind of struck a chord with me because uh, when I married my wife, I discovered that I had married into a family where no one liked anything new. Now, at first, that felt like a really good thing, right? Because if they want old stuff, it's cheaper than the new stuff, right? So if you're newlywed and you're like, okay, we don't have much. Okay, no, we're, this is, well, here, here's what happened. These people have made this into an art form. My mother-in-law, she's 91 years old now, but um, she started refinishing furniture in her 20s. And, and I'm telling you, it, it's an art. You walk into her house and there, you say, where did you get that? Oh, at a barn. Well, that doesn't look like it came out of a barn. Well, it was just sitting back there. We went to an auction. And so now in my house, if you walk into my house, I have like an armor that was made, somebody, my, my sister-in-law found it in a barn in the Ozarks in Missouri, brought it back to her barn, let it sit there for a long time, and then said, oh, I think I'll refinish it and give it to Carrie and Becky. And so we have this beautiful armor that came from my sister-in-law. And then in, in, my, in my bedroom, there's the testimony to my futility. See, I can't repurpose things. I'm not that good at it, all right? I, I, I tried because I, I mean, I'm married in this family, right? So I want to compete. I mean, maybe that's not the way you're wired, but that's the way I'm wired. It's like, okay, if you're going to compete, I'm going to compete. If you're going to show me how good you are, I'm, in fact, I told Michael Thomas this morning, I used to think I was a singer until I heard a singer, all right? And then I married a singer, and then I'm like, yeah, nope, I can't sing, okay? Not, 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 just not happening, all right? Actually, she told me, you can't sing, all right? It wasn't that, I, mean, I still thought I could sing, all right? And then she's like, nope, that's not good, all right? Okay, all right, sorry, okay? And, and so, but in our, in, our, in our bedroom, we have this chest, this dresser drawer that, um, that, that my parents 
bought when I was a kid. In fact, my, my father bought it for five bucks, okay? He was buying some other furniture at a store and the guy had this thing sitting over there. And so he brought it home. And, and the, here's the way a Robinson refurnishes, okay? We bought, some of you people are old enough to remember this, we bought antique looking paint. Seriously, that's what they called it. And so we painted this thing and it was supposed to be antiquing it, okay? Here's what it was. It was ugly in it, all right? It was just like, you're just painting this stuff, and it's just nasty, right? So when I married this family where they refinish, my mother-in-law decides, hey, you know, you, I said, no, 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 I'm going to learn to do this. So I, so I decide that I'm going to refinish. So I, I, I say to my mother-in-law, show me what you do. So she, told, she, she tells me where to go buy the stuff and what to do, and so I, I buy the equipment, and I start in. And, you know, first of all, I found seven layers of paint my parents' layer plus six other layers of paint, right? And as I'm going through, it's like, and it's nasty paint, all right? I mean, there are colors in there that are not really in the universe. I'm not sure how they all got created, but they're there. And I'm, and I'm, I'm pointing, and then I finally, and so I, and then I realized, do, do you know that people who refinish, they use like toothbrushes to get down in the, 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 the little crannies and the, 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 the corners of, of those things? And, and, and I'm like, man, that, that's, that's called patience. Now, you need to know patience is a virtue with which I've not been blessed, all right? And, and, and so I'm just like, nope, I don't have it. And, and so I, I just set it over in my garage. And it sat there for months until my mother-in-law showed up. My mother-in-law showed up and said, what are you doing with that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refinish it. I'm going to get it done. Nope, because that's ugly, son. I'm like, yes, ma'am, okay. Would you like to take it home and do it? Oh, yeah. So we put it in a van and shipped it to Missouri. My father-in-law driving, thinking to myself, himself. In fact, he told me later, like, all the way home, I'm thinking, why in the world, why in the world did Carrie take the paint off this thing and not finish? Why in the world? I was like, because I can't. I don't know how. And so here's what happens. My mother-in-law takes it, and we get it back. And it is an absolutely gorgeous piece of furniture. I mean, underneath all that stuff was this solid oak, beautiful piece of furniture. Now, why am I telling you about that? Because, see, as human beings, we give it our best shot to repurpose our life. Right now, we're really all trying to figure out how we move forward. And, and what, what happens is when we try really hard to repurpose, we end up messing it up. I mean, that, that's why Ison and, and Connor and Malik were being baptized today is because they've tried it on their own. And quite honestly, it doesn't work on their own. And, and, and they're, they're realizing they need to follow Jesus with this. They're realizing that, that he's the one who needs to make a difference in their life. And that's why we do what we do on Sundays, is to come in and, and to talk about, hey, you know what? When Jesus, when Jesus repurposes you, he, he does it in a very beautiful way. Because underneath all the stuff in your life, underneath the failure, underneath the abuse, underneath the sin, underneath the brokenness, you were made the image of God. And he, he made you gorgeous. He made you beautiful. He made you amazing. But in your failure, in your insecurity, there have been layers and layers of stuff, and, and it's all there. And, and so for the next few weeks, we're, we're going to look at what does it mean for God to come in 
and take off that stuff. If you've got a friend, whether you're with us online or on campus, if you've got a friend who's really struggling, over the next few weeks, I want to invite you to invite them to come as your guest. Next week, we got breakfast. You can go get breakfast with them and then come to this service. And I want to encourage you to, 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 to really make an effort to, to open yourself up to the fact that God, God has something he wants to do in your life. And this morning, we're going to start the journey by, by looking at the fact that, that when God really wants to repurpose us, he starts by repurposing us with truth. Now, some of you are like, oh, great, Pastor, now you're going you're gonna to tell us what truth is. Yeah, I, I am. I'm going to tell you what truth is, okay? But I'm not going to give you a list, okay? And I'm not going to stand up here and try to, try to yell at you and tell you, go live like this. and that. No, no. What I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to truth. Because, see, truth, truth is in Jesus. That's why we were singing what we sang this morning. That's why Jesus, when talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, says it quite plainly. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I just want to be really upfront with you. As we start pulling off the layers to, un, to, to uncover who you really are, to repurpose your life into a way that it reflects Jesus Christ, I want you to understand, I know where truth is, and I want you to meet truth. Because truth isn't something you learn. Truth is someone you encounter. See, that, that's the problem we've got in our culture in the 21st century is so many people have their version of what truth is. But the problem is truth is not a what. Truth is a who. And Jesus is the who. And I'm not doing Dr. Seuss, okay? Jesus is the truth. And when you meet him, when you encounter him, it does some things in your life. And for those of you who've been around for the last few weeks, we've been, we were in a series that we called Pulled that was about how we got our foundations back together after the world has been shattered and pulled apart. And we were using the, the letter that Paul wrote to some churches in an area called Galatia in 48 AD as kind of our roadmap for it. And what I want to invite you to do is to help me finish this letter because we got about halfway through looking at the pool. And now, now in the last half of this letter, Paul starts talking to these people about what happens to them when they get things put back together in Jesus Christ. How do you know what's going on? And so I want to, I want to read for you, starting in the fourth chapter, about the eighth verse of the letter Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. And, and as I read it, I want you to catch a couple of different things. I want you to catch exactly why Paul's writing. And I want you to catch the, the flavor, the personality of what he's trying to do. Because for those of you who don't know, as we've been talking the last few weeks, what, what Paul's doing is he's, he's writing to people who at one time had accepted Jesus as their Savior. At one time, they, they'd made the same kind of profession Ison and Connor and Malik just did in front of you. They said, you know what? Jesus is going to change my life. Jesus is the way to change my life. And they were living for Jesus by their faith in Jesus and what he had done, believing him to be the truth. And then some people came along behind them when Paul left town. And these people came and they began to tell people, hey, you know what? It's not enough just to have faith in Jesus. What you got to do is you got to follow these regulations. You, you, you've got to embrace this, this whole thing called Judaism. 
so that guys, you gotta be circumcised. Women and men, you, you've gotta follow the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. You've gotta honor all the Sabbath laws. You've gotta follow all the law of Moses. And, and you've got to do that if you really wanna be free, if you really wanna be, if you really wanna be a person of truth. The, the irony of that is Jesus himself had said to people who believed what they believed that these people, these people put heavy burdens on others without ever lifting a finger to help those folks. And so what, what Paul's doing is he's writing back to these people and he's saying, listen, when, when you get grounded in Jesus, when, when your life has been pulled apart and you understand that the only way to make it is to be grounded in Jesus, you've got to let Jesus repurpose you. You've got to let Jesus find and discover and show you what he already knows, that you were made in the image of God and that you have more inside of you than, than you ever believed possible. But as he writes, he writes a very personal conversation. I mean, this is, this is kind of like, have you ever read like a personal letter that was written to someone else? I was going through an old trunk in my house not long ago, and I found a letter that was written to me by my cousin. Now, some of you know my cousin. Her husband served on our staff for 15 years. His name is Mark Shaner. Vicki, his wife, is my first cousin. Our mothers, our sisters. And, um, and she wrote me this letter, and it got tucked away in these boxes when we were freshmen in college. Now, here's why I'm telling you about the letter. In the letter, she hadn't met Mark yet. She didn't know Mark Shaner. But she was dating another boy who was a friend of mine from the same church that I had grown up in. And so he had mentioned that he knew my name. And so my cousin wrote me this letter. Now, for those of you who are younger, this is before email, before Snapchat, before all the ways you guys check each other out, all right? So the way she was checking it out was she, she's writing me this letter. And she like, I mean, honestly, she wrote it on paper with a pen. She put it in an envelope. She was serious. I mean, she was so serious, she licked the stamp. Some of you have never licked a stamp in your life, all right? She, she licked the stamp, she sent it to me. And it got stuck away, and it had been stuck for decades, long after she was married, after she had kids, after she had grandchildren. I found that letter from when she was 18. I'm just going to let you know something. Mark has never seen it, and he never will, all right? <laughs> but, but here's the fun part. As I'm reading that letter, it's like she's, she's burying her heart. And, and I'm thinking, you know what? That's the way the Apostle Paul is writing to these people in Galatia. He's bearing his heart. He's showing them his heart. Listen as I read for you and catch the personality of what he's trying to say to them. In Galatians chapter four, starting at verse eight, remember the context I've just told you about. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and, and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? 
you observe now days and months and seasons and years, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel or a messenger of God as you would have received Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. What Paul's saying is, look, you know the truth. You've met Jesus. Why are you, why are you going backward into what you used to do before you met Jesus. And, and the crazy part about it is, if you're a Galatian and you're listening to this, then, then here's the deal, you think you're going forward. Because these people have come in behind Paul and they've said, no, no, this is more than what Paul taught you. They, they've put it in a language that's deceptive. They said, this is more than just having faith in Jesus. This will make you more spiritual. This will make you more like God. This, does it sound kind of like the snake in the garden with Eve? Well, the reason God doesn't want you to, to eat of that, that fruit of that tree is because he knows that if you eat of that fruit, then you're going to become like him. See, there's something inside of us that really wants to be more than. And the reality is God has already made us more than. And this deceiver, the, the one who is against us, he, he's the one who confuses our minds. And so this morning, I, I just want to call out for you three ways that, that you can be repurposed by truth that Paul lays out in this. The, the first one is this. Did you hear it? He said, why would you want to go back to the, to the elementary principles, to the, to the things that you did before you knew Christ, to put yourself under that kind of power. See, what, what he knows is this. If you're not serving God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the Father of Jesus, if you're not being moved by the Spirit of God, then, then you're actually being deceived. See, there's a, there's a lie prevalent in our culture right now that all gods are equal. No, no, that's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of the New Testament. That's not the message of the Old Testament. The message of the Bible is simply this. God is God. He has a son, and they have a spirit, and that triune God is at work in you, three in one. And you are the one who was made in his image. And anything else is deceptive. Anyone else is deceptive. And so he starts out and he says, listen, you've got to know that an experience or an encounter with Jesus always sets us free 
from the power of our self-made gods. See, that's, that's what these people who had come behind were saying. They, they, had, they had created this whole thing about, these are self-made gods. So an encounter with Jesus sets us free from the power of those self-made gods. Now, now, what I want you to do is I want you to think for, with me for just a minute. What is, what is your, your self-made God? What is it that, that happens in your life? What is it that you worship besides Jesus, instead of Jesus, more than Jesus? Is it a person? Is it a dream? Is it a thing? See, what, what, what Paul's saying to them, and what I would suggest that he's saying to us, is that if we really want to be repurposed, if we really want to find who we were made to be in Christ, if we really want to, really want to, really want to follow Jesus, then it's not about trying to be more spiritual, it's not about trying to follow more rules, it's not about trying to please other people, it's, it's about giving God the opportunity to be God. I keep telling you guys, I think I'm like fixated because I'm a grandpa now, that I have this two-year-old granddaughter. And for those of you who have two-year-old children, you're gonna understand what I'm saying. Or if you have two-year-old siblings, you're gonna understand this story. Because my, my, uh, my two-year-old granddaughter, yeah, she just got a, three months ago, she got a, a little baby sister. And when she loves her little baby sister. She loves her so much that she wants to like hug her the problem is she doesn't know how to hug nice, you know? I mean, well, she'll hug an adult nice. In fact, you can tell a, a Vera hug, a Vera hug is a great hug because when she hugs you, she takes, and I, I just, her, her little hand goes like this. Yeah, and you just kind of go, oh, it's like that. And it's just like, oh, all insides melt, right? But here's, here's what happens. The first day that she went to daycare with her little sister because my, my daughter-in-law's a, nurse and my son works as well so they they took the girls to daycare and they walk in and, and I guess this had been going on for a little bit but but my wife saw it firsthand and then I got to hear about it okay because like nobody tells me until my wife sees it right and so Becky takes them in and here's what happens she comes in and Vera two years old her little sister Mary okay they set Mary down in the little car carrier and they set her down Vera, who's about this big, Vera looks at all the other little children who are her friends. She looks at them, she looks at her baby sister, and she says, my sister, my sister, like, don't you touch my sister. When my wife's telling me this, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Protect the sibling, that's a good thing, right? Except now suddenly, Everything in her world is mine, mine, mine. Vera, we buy things for Mary. Vera sees it, mine. She walks in my house, stuff that I own, stuff that I bought. She looks at mine. No, kid, that's not yours, all right? That belongs to, belongs to G-Paul right now, all right? Someday when I'm dead, maybe you'll get it. But can I tell you something? That's the way a lot of you treat God. My talent, my dream, my pain, my abuse, my relationship, 
I mean, check your language sometimes. How many times do you say my in a day? And what Paul's saying is, look, do you want to go back to those self-made gods? Why, why would you go back to that? When you've been introduced to the God who provides everything for you. Why, why would you go back to that when you've been provided this access into the presence of the creator of the universe? But unfortunately for many of us, in fact, I would dare suggest to you for all of us, there is this desire to worship the gods we can control. Because when you start worshiping the God of the Bible, when you start worshiping Jesus, when you start allowing him to have control of your life, suddenly he does, he does strange and wonderful things in your life. Things you never dreamed possible start happening in your life. Relationships you never even thought would come about suddenly start happening. But it all happens not when you grab it and say, that's mine. It happens when you say to God, this is yours. I am yours. I belong to you. You're in charge of my life. And when you give him complete control, he begins to do amazing things. L look at it again, the way, the way Paul wrote it. Formerly, when, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. Look at that word. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, I, I love this, or rather be known by God. See, that's the most beautiful part of this. Some of you, some of you feel like nobody knows who you are. God knows you by name. Jesus tells us that he actually knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, that's a lot, you know, like me, that's an easier job than for some of you. you know? But you're known by God. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again? I love this. To the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. What, what Paul's saying is, look, I told you about the truth. I told you who Jesus is. I introduced you to him. You encountered him. And now suddenly you want to back up off of that? Why would you want to back up off of that? Why would you want to go to something that's weaker and doesn't make as big an impact? Why, why, why would you want to do that? Because you're putting yourself under principles, powers that are not, that are not the same. And he goes, I, I'm, I'm afraid I, I labored over you in vain. And then he gets very personal with it. Because you see, it's not just that, that he's writing to these people because he met them. No, he's writing these people because he knows them. And he loves them. And he knows what Jesus wants to do in their life. You see, Jesus repurposes us by walking with us. By walking with us in a relationship of truth. You want to be repurposed by truth? Don't just memorize some principles and precepts. No, 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 no. The Bible is more than principles and precepts. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is an introductory letter from God to you. The Bible is God himself saying to you, calling you by name because he knows you and you're known by God. The, the Bible is, is not this book of rules and regulations. It's this invitation into a relationship 
you want your life to, to have meaning, you want your life to have depth, then, then, then what he's asking you to do is, is to come into this relationship. And, and Jesus modeled it. He left heaven, came to earth as a baby, lived as a boy, grew to be a man, walked in the same kind of place as you walk. Or did he do everything that you've done? Oh, no. I mean, he never married. Some of you are married. He never had children. Some of you have children. He didn't know the, the joy of being a grandparent from the same way I do. But you know what he did do? This is the one that gets me. He was tempted in every way just as you've been tempted. Everything that could have broken the relationship between Jesus and God, every temptation, every, every invitation to sin, every, everything that, no, he, he, he faced that. I mean, every once in a while I have people say, well, no, Jesus, you know, he, he never had to deal with internet pornography. No, he did not. But he dealt with lust. Because before there was internet pornography, there was lust. Where do you think the pornography came from? See, we tend to look at it and, and say, well, this and this, and try to separate ourselves from God. What Paul is doing is Paul saying, no, listen to me. Uh, Jesus, Jesus invites you into this relationship where he's the truth. And, in fact, he did it so much in my life that that's the way I've decided to live. I mean, look, look at these verses. I, I read, read them for you earlier. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you. Entreat means I, I'm, I'm, I'm really intense on this, okay? I, I entreat you, become as I am. Whoa. I mean, you could just stop right there for a minute. Because what, what, what Paul is saying is, look, you want to follow Jesus? I'm following Jesus. Let's do this together. See, we live in a world where everybody wants to tell everybody else what to do it. I mean, it's do as I say, not as I do, right? That's the way everybody wants to live. Here, let me tell you what's right. You go do that, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Paul says, no, listen. I'm, I entreat you, become as I am, get this, for I also have become as you are. You, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel, as a messenger of God, as Christ Jesus himself. When then, has, what then has become of your blessedness. Well, what he means by this, what, what's happened to your relationship with Jesus if, if now suddenly you despise me? Because I'm telling you, I walked where you walk. I invited you into my walk with God. And because I invited you into that walk, into that relationship, into that truth, then I'm, I'm telling you, you, you've been spoiled for anything else. He said, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you about Jesus, by telling you the truth? See, uh, people have been kind of fascinated for years by what he's talking about. I actually went back this week to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, which is where, where he was, the story is written of, of these churches and how he preached the gospel in his first missionary journey to them. And I was trying to figure out, what ailment's he talking about? What ailment? And then I finally realized, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
Any of you remember, those of you Bible scholars, you went to Sunday school, Bible school, you remember, you remember what happened to Paul when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road? Do you remember that story? Do you know anything about it? What happened to him? He was blinded. You remember that there was a man who had to come pray for him for the, quote, scales to fall off his eyes? See, see what, what happens is most, most historians would tell you that for the rest of his life, Paul, Paul had some problem with his eyes. God healed him. God gave him his sight back. But, but what he's saying to these people is, you know what? When I was with you, I, I was having trouble with my eyes. And, and, and I'm telling you, you loved me so much because you'd met Jesus. You would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. You would, you would have given me what I needed. See, when, when we encounter Jesus in such a way that, we, that we're set free from the self-made gods, when we, when we allow him to repurpose us for a, a relationship that, that allows us to walk with him and walk with each other, then there's this grace, there's this mercy, there's this, this amazing community of faith that takes place. And what happens is that, is, is that something begins to change in us because we've encountered Jesus. There's, a, there's an old saying that I grew up hearing people back home talk about. I think it's actually in probably a Southern Gospel song somewhere that said, I'm not the man I wanna be, but thank God I'm not the man I used to be. That's, that's what Paul's talking about to the churches in Galatia. You wanna be repurposed by the truth? then you, you've got to have a relationship of truth, a relationship with Jesus that allows Christ Jesus to be formed in you. To be formed in you. So, so, that, so that when you're set free, you begin a journey of being repurposed. When all the layers of the paint are stripped away and, and now suddenly you, you see who you were really made to be, what happens is Christ Jesus becomes, becomes the center. You're saying to him, hey, here I am. Shape me, mold me, make me into who you want me to be. Paul, Paul says it like this to these folks. Uh, these people who are trying to teach you and take you astray, they make much of you I love this, but for no good purpose. He said, they, they really want to shut you out so that you are becoming a part of the, the Jewish synagogue. You see, what was going on is that these people who came behind Paul and told the, the followers of Jesus that they had to have more and regulations and they had to become Jewish, here's what was happening. You gotta, you gotta get the culture of this. If you miss this, you miss the whole thing, okay? If they became Jewish, Jewish Religion was accepted by Rome. And these colonies were all governed by Rome. They were part of the Roman Empire. And so these people who came behind Paul were saying to these folks who had followed Jesus, hey, listen, you keep following Jesus the way Paul's telling you to follow Jesus, and you're stepping outside the Jewish faith, then the Romans are going to look at you as a sect. They're going to look at you as a religious group. And, and, and that's, that's not good. They're going to persecute you. And we know historically it ended up happening that way. 
But if you will, if you'll follow these regulations, if you'll become Jewish, if you'll if you'll just continue, then, then what they're going to say is, oh, you're just a Jewish sect, and so because you're a Jewish sect and Judaism is approved by the emperor, then you're not going to be persecuted. You're not going to have some hard times. And and by the way, and then all the people of the synagogue are going to think are going to think better of us. And so Paul says, look, they they want to shut you out. That that you may make much of them. You'll make their life better. You see, always know somebody's motive for why they're trying to teach you about God. Some folks are teaching you about God so that they look better. They're not doing it so you grow in Christ. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, for someone to love on you because God loves you, for someone to encourage you because Jesus encourages you, for someone that's a good purpose. But... Well, Paul said, that's not just because I'm there present with you, but you're my children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, but I am perplexed about you. There's that authenticity again. There's that honesty again. He said, look, guys, if you get an encounter with Jesus, it's going to make you give up all your self-made gods. When you give up all your self-made gods, you get repurposed through walking with Jesus and walking with his people. But but if you want to go back into that old way, then then you're going to basically not keep growing in Christ. So what I'm praying for you, Paul says, is like a mother who's in the angst of childbirth. She knows It's going to be good. She knows there's going to be a baby. She's hopeful for the life ahead. But in the moment, in the moment, she's in angst because that hurts. But she knows the good is coming. So I'm asking you in the midst of your pain. It's like we sang with Michael earlier today. In the midst of the rain, in the midst, in the midst of the storm. God will not, he won't fail you. And that's why Paul's saying, look, I'm praying that you have Jesus Christ formed in 